Hey guys, just a reminder that the 2022 Small Town Monsters Kickstarter is happening right now. You can be a part of funding all four of our feature-length film productions that are coming out this year. You can get your name in the credits and all that stuff. You can also be a part of helping to fund all the amazing YouTube content we're putting out. The link is in the description. Hit the button, become a backer, be a part of Small Town Monsters. Hello, welcome to The Lore You Know, a show where we chat with some amazing human beings who are storytellers, collectors, and folklorists as we discuss the history of, inspiration behind, and importance of collecting and sharing regional tales. I am your host, Heather Mosier, and today I have with me Larry Beans Baxter from the great state of Alaska. Hi. That's right. The greatest state. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for talking with me today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I love talking about Alaska. I love talking about Bigfoot. So yeah, two of my favorite is things. We're going to do both of those things. Excellent. <laughs> uh, before we get started on things, can you explain to our listeners and viewers your connection to the cryptid community? Well, I, um, I've always had a lifelong interest in cryptids and unexplained things. Uh, I think it started, you know, when I was a child, I grew up across from a library and, you know, one of my favorite things to do was go over there and check out books. And I always gravitated toward the section of books with, you know, monsters in them, like the Crestwood monster books, stuff like that. Books about Bigfoot, uh, Loch Ness monster, anything unexplained, ghosts, stuff like that. And I just, I never grew out of it. And uh, yeah. then, you know, I, I, I grew up and, um, you know, my interest in it would kind of wax and wane as I got older. I was always interested in it, but to different degrees. And, you know, I, I ended up in Alaska through uh, just a, a, a chain of events that just, I never like ended up or wanted to end up here. It just happened. Um, I joined the military. I said, I don't care where the army sends me as long as it's nowhere cold and straight to Alaska. I went <laughs> and you jinxed um, yourself, huh? I it's, it's pretty comical. Cause I had no of course this was back before the internet and, and, you know, you couldn't just get on, fire up your computer and look up maps or anything you wanted and uh, my only knowledge of alaska came from northern exposure the tv show oh okay so i thought that i was coming to northern exposure mm-hmm. and i remember flying in to the airport and i got a ride from the airport to the milit to the army base and i remember just driving through like downtown Anchorage and seeing like all the stores and all the restaurants. And I was like, Oh, this isn't so bad. I was like, look, they've got a pizza hut, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And um, so it kind of, you know, it was, it was a big learning experience for me and uh, don't get me wrong. There are, there are Northern exposure is up here. Like there are places like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it just, you know, we have the same thing everybody else has, you know, bigger cities, uh, you know, I was in law enforcement up here after I got out of the military uh, for a long time. And, you know, people always, oh, I guess it's pretty slow up there. Or, I guess, you know, you guys don't have, we got, <laughs> we got all the same problems everybody else does. We got meth, heroin, DUIs, um, you know, it's, it's just maybe not quite as much, but it's here and right. we still got to deal with it. So Alaska's, uh, it's just like any other place in, in the world, you know, it's, 
it's got its challenges uh and we've got you know the extra challenge of dealing with the environment mm -hmm. uh you know it, it takes a so some of what they say is true it does take i think a special kind of person to live here mm -hmm. uh, we'll see people imports come in from you know the lower 48 and uh they'll spend a couple of winters and then they're like no it's not for me and they'll leave so <laughs> right it's right but yeah it's a it's an amazing place and i just i've always been interested in cryptids and the unexplained and you know being in alaska bigfoot just seems to be the uh the most likely cryptid to encounter up here and that's kind of where i've concentrated my efforts and mm -hmm. uh just uh really got into field research probably just here in the last uh you know, eight, nine years or so. I've always been a big reader. I'm sorry, my dogs are in here and they're oh, snoring. <laughs> uh, I've always been a big reader on the subject, but I've just recently got out and started looking around myself. And mm -hmm. I was kind of surprised at like some of the, the things I was finding, like tracks, hearing vocalization, stuff like that. And it's, it's, um, it's great being up here and having so much prime habitat to uh, look in. Mm -hmm. And it's terrible being up here having so much prime habitat to look in because i mean it seems that bigfoot obviously they don't like to be around people you know most encounters you hear a person sees the bigfoot the bigfoot sees the person and it goes away right and they don't like being around people and there is plenty of room up here for them to not be around people <laughs> so right. it's kind of a it's kind of a blessing and a curse all in one it's such a beautiful state with so much i mean just it's mind-bogglingly big mm -hmm. and it makes it really hard to do a lot of uh good research up here because there's just so much ground to cover and if you're looking for something that doesn't want to be around you there's right. plenty of room for it to not be around you right i would imagine even the hot spots are still rather large yeah so. it's it's kind of hit or miss you know i had an area where i was going to pretty regular and I would hear vocalizations or find tracks. And then uh, a few years ago, a big fire came through mm. and wiped out, you know, thousands of acres. And ever since then, I haven't had any activity in that area at all. So I don't know, like, yeah. are they going to come back in a year or two? Or are they never going to come back? Like, it's just, I mean, nobody knows. So it's, it's kind of frustrating. And yeah. I don't know where they would have went. There's so many directions that they could have gone. Right. I might never find out where they moved to have the or they might have died in a fire. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's yeah. true. Have the other wildlife started to come back in that area? Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, the last couple of times I was out there. So I, I have, the, I have this theory yeah. uh, that bear and Bigfoot don't necessarily share territory. Okay. Maybe in some places they do where it's kind of cramped and, and, and they don't really have much of a choice. But I think in a place like this where they have so much room, I don't mm -hmm. think they really um, share a lot of territory. Mm -hmm. And this area I was just telling you about, uh, I would go in there all the time, never found any sign of bear, never saw any bears, no bear scat. And I thought that was a good sign that that's, could be prime Bigfoot habitat. And the last couple of times I went in there, uh, I saw a bear and then I found a lot of bear scat on the road uh, going out there. Mm -hmm. So it makes me wonder like, okay, did the Bigfoot move out? Now the bears are moving in, like what's going on here? Right. Cause that, that was not typical, a typical place where I would find a lot of bear sign. And now I have been finding bear sign. Does that hold true for any other wildlife in the area, like moose or anything like that? Or does that kind of not matter? I don't think it matters much with moose are pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um 
they they just don't really seem to uh to have a sense of their own mortality i mean um they'll walk out in front of a car and and just they don't they don't care um you know i've been able to get i have moose in my backyard i can walk out on my deck and you know they're right there i can almost reach out and touch them sometimes so it kind of i I think they probably just they like to go where the food is and um for the most part you know they're they're gonna they're gonna be moose they're gonna eat and and poop and make little moose and that's about all they do Mm -hmm. um and i think they probably are and and all this is theory and speculation i don't know anything about bigfoot right yeah uh but i think that's probably the primary food source for them up here um at least as far as meat goes i think they're probably omnivores i I have no evidence to support that but yeah uh, it would sure make sense Mm -hmm. that's true so before you moved up into alaska or got shipped up there to alaska you were from kentucky correct yes i was born and raised in muhlenberg county and uh spent my formative years there uh really been paying a lot of attention to your uh, your shows about the A- appalachian uh, appalachian i'm sorry folklore and uh <laughs> been enjoying that and i've tried to think of a couple of uh, stories i could tell that i heard growing up i've got one yeah. i think it's kind of it's more of an anecdote than a story but we'll, we'll hit that toward the end of the show but uh yeah yeah i i grew up uh not far from uh, hopkinsville kentucky where the hopkinsville goblin thing happened yeah uh, yeah awesome. and did it's you hear just, about uh, that growing up or was you know, that something I, you heard out later? I heard about it later when I got like mm-hmm. access to internet and stuff. If I had known like the uh, Spotsville monster, Hopkinsville goblins, all that stuff. If I had known about that growing up, yeah, like as soon as I hit 16 years old, got my driver's license, I'd have been all over the place looking for monsters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, instead, I wasted all my time, like looking for girls and listening to music. <laughs> but uh yeah. If I had known about it growing up, I would have totally been all over that. I would have loved to have went to Hopkinsville and looked for the Hopkinsville goblins and went to Spotsville and looked for the Spotsville monster, all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah. I didn't I didn't really quite get into that until uh, until the Internet came along. Yeah, you wouldn't even have been that far then from Adams, Tennessee, probably from the Bell Witch area, just yeah. across the border, right? We I was about an hour, like something like an hour and a half north of Nashville. Okay. Yeah. So you weren't far away. Yeah. That's, it's interesting that that's been a theme too, from other people I've talked about the stories that you find out later were so close to home that maybe weren't shared whenever you were younger. I I did hear about the bell witch quite a bit uh, growing up. And in fact, I knew a guy that claimed to be related to the, the uh, bell family. Really? And he said he went to the, I don't know if this is true or not. This is a story he told. Yeah. Uh, he said he went to the cave down there, the, the Bell Witch Cave, mm-hmm. and he walked in and he started talking and he said, uh, he was like, Kate, I'm, uh, I'm so-and-so and I'm related to the, uh, the Bells and I just wanted to come in here and see, you know, if everything's okay between us or whatever. And he said, you know, he's in the cave, he says it's completely dark yeah. and he said it sounded like somebody just screamed in his ear and he oh. turned around and ran out. Um, yeah. That's a no. I would take that as a no. (laughs) Negotiations did not, uh, were not successful. (laughs) That's, that's hilarious. What, like, and this is something as well with people that grow up in that area, growing up, hearing about the bell, Witch. like what, what was something that you heard? Did you just hear the story? Did you hear, 
you know, don't taunt the witch or anything like that. How was that? How was that told to you? I just heard the story about Mm. uh, the bell witch. And of course it had like different, it was always a little bit different. Yeah. There was always some like variation Mm -hmm. and some things that, oh, well, I mean, like when I watched Seth's film on it, there was stuff in the film because I I thought, man, I grew up around there. I know all about the bell witch. I watched Seth's film and I'm like, I never heard that. I never heard that. Mm-hmm. so there was always little little like differences and variations in it mm-hmm. uh the disembodied voices seemed to be pretty across the board uh that was always something that i heard but you know there were different like the bell witch was a person the bell witch was a ghost uh the bell witch was yeah. you know a dead slave the bell witch was mm-hmm. you know there was there was a bunch of variations of it and uh, all of them had a little bit of the original story in it but then would deviate somewhere it seemed like yeah so when you were growing up did you have storytellers in your family whether it was folk tales or family stories you know not really um I didn't get a lot of ghost stories growing up um Mm -hmm. not from family members I mean obviously I from the books I read but and I think that's one of the reasons why I like to read about that stuff is because I didn't get it organically you know I I wasn't Mm -hmm. uh you know, I, I don't remember my grandma ever setting me down and telling me a ghost story. Uh, <laughs> right. She told me a couple of weird stories, but I don't remember any like ghost stories. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, my family, both sides, my mom and my dad, they were both, uh, I don't want to say hillbillies because we didn't, we didn't live in the hills, but we, we were simple people. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of the times, especially down there and up here, uh, you hear about they don't like to talk about that stuff because it will attract it. It'll bring it to you. Yeah. It's something that's kind of taboo. And I kind of feel like that's the way they felt about those, those kind of stories. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't something good to talk about often because it would, it would draw attention to you. Right. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, so going from Kentucky up to Alaska, you know, you said that you were kind of expecting when you first got there to be like Northern exposure, but the differences between Kentucky and Alaska, like what was something once you got there that was the most stunning moment, like just breathtaking moment for you once you got to the state? Probably the first thing I, I that kind of stunned me was the, uh, the sunlight because mm-hmm. I got here in the summertime. Oh. Um, I was here with the military mm-hmm. And uh, I got there, I got my stuff together. You know, they put me in a room and said, okay, we need you to be downstairs at 6 a.m. for formation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I went to bed. Um, I woke up, looked at my watch, which was a like an analog watch. It said it was one o'clock. And mm-hmm. I looked outside and it was like broad daylight. Like it looked like it was noon. Right. And I was like, oh my God, I've overslept. Like, how did I sleep this long? Yeah. Get up, you know, start looking for clothes. And uh, I'm looking out the window and I'm like, I kind of like, well, why isn't there any cars on the road? Why isn't there any people out or, you know, walking around? Because military bases are usually a lot of activity going on during the day. And I'm like, is it one o'clock in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I found a, a, my digital clock and it said 1 a.m. And I was like, mm-hmm. it's one o'clock in the morning. It's broad daylight outside. I mean, it was, it was yeah. daylight, daylight. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was probably my first real, like, you know, I'm, I'm not in the lower 48 anymore moment. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, that's the only time it ever really 
messed with me. Like once that happened, once that initial shock wore off, I'm like, okay, it's daytime all the time. Right. So yeah, it just, uh, that was probably my biggest, uh, my most shocking moment. And then, uh, the weather, obviously, uh, like I said, I got there in summertime, I go downstairs for formation. We would do physical training, you know, like PT and stuff. Mm-hmm. I get down there and they're telling me like summer uniform. So I'm in like a t-shirt and shorts. Yeah. And I just came, my, uh, AIT was in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So it was a hundred degrees there in the shade. Right. I get to Alaska. I go downstairs in a t-shirt and a short. It's 50 degrees outside. I am freezing, mm-hmm. like freezing. And I'm like, I can't believe you got And they're like, no, this is warm. <laughs> so, <laughs> like this is summer. This is summer for us. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't acclimated. I got acclimated eventually and I, it was fine, but that those mm-hmm. first couple of months were pretty hard. And, yeah. um, I was like, you guys should let the new guys wear, uh, wear winter PTs if they want to. And nope, everybody's got to look the same. <laughs> <laughs> so the daylight, like, I know it depends where you are in Alaska, but where you are, which is in Southern Alaska, correct? <clears throat> like, yeah. um, how, how many hours of daylight do you get maximum daylight during the year? And then that reverses as well. You get nighttime all the time. Yeah. Well, like right now it's nine 30 in the morning and I can, just kind of start to see outside like the sun's just kind of starting to like mm-hmm. break the horizon yeah. uh in the summertime uh it never get like in like june 21st ish mm-hmm. like it never gets dark and i mean you could take a newspaper outside at two three o'clock in the morning and read it it never gets mm-hmm. completely dark yeah um and then uh you know we start losing daylight after that and you you lose a couple minutes of daylight every day uh, right now we're starting to gain daylight, but you know, around the winter equinox or winter solstice, we get, um, probably about five hours of daylight. Wow. It'll, it'll, it'll rise. The sun will rise about nine o'clock in the morning and it sets probably, you know, about starts to set about three o'clock in the afternoon. The, like the increased daylight probably helps for squatching, doesn't it? Do you have longer hours that you can be out without it being an issue? Or do you think that that hinders things? Cause there's not as much coverage. I think, uh, I think it helps, you know, it, it definitely gives you more visibility around the camp and stuff like that, or wherever you're squatching. Uh, but I also, I've kind of noticed that there's not, I don't hear a ton of vocalizations. I don't have a ton of activity until it does kind of start to, to get a little dusky. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain, but it seems like, um, not much goes on until it starts to, to get dark. Uh, even though it doesn't get completely dark, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, they know like, well, okay, the, the visibility is lower now. So now's the time to go out. Mm-hmm. So. What is the typical behavior like for Sasquatch in Alaska that might be different than something in the lower 48? We don't have <clears throat> a ton of uh, reported wood knocks here. Mm. Uh, you know, like when I spent time down in Washington um, with Will Ulmer, from Bigfoot of Stevens County. He's, he's got an amazing Bigfoot cha- or, uh, YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, when I spent time down there with him, we would hear knocks pretty consistently. Yeah. And here I haven't found that to be the case. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just like a, a Bigfoot culture thing where they don't right. do that here or if there's a reason, or maybe it's the type of trees. I, I just don't know. But um, that's something that I've noticed is they don't seem to do as much. They, I have had 
I have heard some knocks and had some cases of some knocks being reported, but it just doesn't seem as abundant here as it does down there. Are um, they pretty vocal? Yeah, I hear, I would say I have more reports of vocalizations than I do wood knocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that um, we've, we've discussed a little bit, especially going into Bigfoot project here around Minerva is that there's not as much vocalization. We have wood knocks, all kinds of wood knocks, but not so much the vocalization. And um, it, it might have something to do with the density of the human population. Yeah. Uh, they might say, okay, there's a bunch of people around. Let's use wood knocks. And yeah. then, you know, up here, there's like, well, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to hear us scream your head off. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I don't know. That's I, again, true. It, yeah. It's all speculation and theory. I don't know. Um, yeah. I like to, yeah. I like to preface that. I'm not an expert. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody really is. Really. There's not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, what are the different names of like, we have Sasquatch and in Ohio there's grass man and yellow eyes and all that, but like, or orange eyes, but what are some of the titles in Alaska for Sasquatch? Uh, most of them are based around, uh, native, uh, names for the mm-hmm. Bigfoot. Yeah. Uh, the one we have here, um, uh, on the Kenai Peninsula where I'm at, it's, uh, most commonly called the Nantanok. Mm-hmm. And there's another tribe here, the Denina people. Uh, they have a name that they call Nantana, which is very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, Nantana means the one who steals us, Oh, which is creepy. Yeah, that's um, very sinister. <laughs> um, and then as you get further north, you have different names. Um, I'm trying to remember some of them. I don't have them in front of me, but... Uh, most of them are based on on native legends, uh, you know, of course, and then there's the hairy man, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a general term, uh, the bush man. Um, yeah. I'm trying, uh, what's it called? Yuri I believe is the Yupik name. Mm. Some, some, something similar to that. I might not be pronouncing it right because I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of different names. A lot of the different tribes have different names for it. Uh, in the southeast, they have the uh, Kushtaka, which is not Bigfoot. That's the Otter Man. Oh, and yeah. There's a book that Seth just got here, I think by David Weatherly, that has an Otter Man on it. Yeah, I've got it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Otter Man, it, uh, and, and they'll tell you, uh, this is the the Clinkets that believe uh, they have the, the otter man mm-hmm. they are very quick to tell you that otter man and bigfoot are two different things mm-hmm. and otter man uh it almost sounds kind of like a, a wendigo uh, oh, where okay. it will it will kidnap people and then they will turn into uh, kushtakas whoa that's yeah. really i mean it's i want to say it's really cool but that's also <laughs> horrible <laughs> man um are there other like creatures up there that are just different animals that are larger? I mean, there's probably dogman stories up there too of some sort, right? I haven't had any dogman reports reported to me. Uh, I have heard of a couple up here. I think one in the the valley, which is kind of like the, well, the Matanuska Valley area, which mm-hmm. is up. Uh, it's about an hour north of Fairbanks or not Fairbanks, Anchorage, mm-hmm. and then uh, a report out of the Fairbanks area of a dogman. But I haven't personally heard of a, of a lot. I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm on the fence. I'm on the dogman fence. I don't really know what to think about it. Um, yeah. I'm a little skeptical. I'm skeptical of Bigfoot. 
Uh, and mm. I will be until I get like a really good signing of one. Right. But, uh, I, I'm on the dog man fence. I'm, 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 I don't know what to think about it. It's just, uh, mm-hmm. it's a little weird. Yeah. I just, what I know is that I wouldn't want to see one if they exist. I don't Yeah. Know. Well, my luck, I'll go out looking for Bigfoot and I'll see a dog man. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so one, I, I do want to say there's an amazing book that's out there so we can show that there. You I know that look, guy. You know this guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's Abandoned, the History and Horror of Port Chatham. 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 Chatham, Alaska. Yeah. Okay. See, I knew I was going to mess it up. Didn't matter which way I went, I was going to mess it up. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about one, the reasoning behind digging into this particular area when you have the whole state of Alaska, what is it about Port Chatham that caught your attention? Well, the first thing is the um, proximity to it for right here where I'm sitting talking to you. It's only about 40 miles away. It's only like 40 mm-hmm. miles to the south of me. Um, and I've always been interested in it. I always wanted to go there. And in 2018, uh, Stephen Major uh, came up from extreme expeditions and he's like, Hey, I'm going to film a, a documentary in Port Chatham. Would you like to go? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we got to go in there. We were the first, uh, people to go in there to do Bigfoot research mm-hmm. and, uh, document it. And, you know, we, we put out the documentary in search of the Port Chatham Harry man. And, uh, I, I have it on pretty good authority. That's going to be available to watch on YouTube here for free pretty soon. Nice. So uh, that's in search of the Port Chatham Harry Man and probably here the next month or so it's going to be available on YouTube. It has been on Amazon for the last few years. But uh, that's kind of what drew me into it. It's just a fascinating story and it doesn't fit the typical ghost town narrative Mm -hmm. where with most ghost towns, they have a resource. They build the town around the resource and then they exploit the resource till it's gone. And then the town dies and it moves on. And Mm -hmm. this one didn't necessarily fit that uh, narrative and where they built the town around the resource, which was the timber and the fish. And then the town was abandoned, but the resources are still there. So it, 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 it's understandable how like a lot of the legends and stuff uh, grew up around Port Chatham. Then you had the native legends of the Nantanok. You had plenty of sightings activity in the area and it turned into uh, basically a, a really spooky place that nobody wanted to go. And, and uh, we got to go in there and film a documentary. Then we went the next year and did some filming for the travel channel. And it's a fascinating place. And I, after I went there, uh, the first time I really got interested in the history of the place and kind of started digging into it and finding as much as I could. And it's really hard to research because all that that happened there, the town was founded and abandoned before Alaska was even a state. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to find any decent um, documentation and records from that era. And right. I had a really hard time uh, finding anything really. I mean, I got some cool stuff. I got some like uh, public records. I've got some like transfer deeds. I, I have a, a, transfer a sale of the pool hall mm-hmm. for a dollar <laughs> <laughs> nice like somebody sold the pool hall for a dollar but yeah. uh it's really cool but i mean what do you you know that doesn't prove that there's a bigfoot running around so right um it was it was just a really interesting dive into the the history of the town and the subject of the legends around it and uh, i i'm still really interested in it 
uh, it's starting to kind of hit the mainstream now. Uh, you know, people are getting more interested in it and uh, there's like another, there's a show about, about it on TV right now. And it's, uh, it's really kind of like hitting the mainstream. I'm sure somebody's going to eventually like make a movie about like a fiction movie about it or, or something like that. Or Stephen King's going to write a book about it or something like that. <laughs> That'd be cool. What's yeah. one of your favorite stories that you've uncovered in that area? One of my favorite stories uh, about the, the Nantanock and Port Chatham, it's not very exciting, but to me, it's fascinating. It was a sighting report uh, where a gentleman said he saw the Nantanock walking down the beach carrying a club. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that just fascinates me because uh, the gentleman's not, not with us anymore. Uh, he passed away. And I would love to ask him, like, why did you say it was a club? Right. You know, like what made him distinguish it in that manner as opposed to just saying he was carrying a stick or he was carrying a log Mm -hmm. and it makes me wonder like okay well does it you know was it actual was it actual sighting involving like the use of a tool or was you know the Nantanok just you know was he looking for muscles or something picked up a stick and was looking under you know I mean it's like Mm -hmm. it it just boggles the mind is like is it actually a tool use scenario or was it just carrying around a stick yeah and that that fascinates me that's probably that is, my, yeah that is fascinating well um so when the nantanok can you describe that exact i mean obviously like bigfoot but is there some distinguishing feature about that aside from a large hairy creature that's pretty much the uh the textbook definition <laughs> of there's not a whole lot more uh description about it just a big hairy man a big hairy mm-hmm. person uh, i have heard a couple of accounts where they say it has red eyes Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard, uh, of some sightings around the, uh, I can't remember if it was Port Graham or Nanwalt. There's two villages a little bit North of, uh, Port Chatham mm-hmm. and I get them mixed up all the time. There's Port Graham and, and Nanwalt. Uh, and I've heard of a sighting in one of those villages of a white one. Oh, okay. And that, that intrigues me as well. I was like, is that, is it an old one or is it an albino one? Like why? Right is it is it just cut does its hair change color in the winter like a like a hair or something like a rabbit um but yeah i i don't know i've heard uh reddish brown probably is the most common color Mm -hmm. and then black and then white Mm -hmm. but yeah it's pretty on par with the sightings that you hear about in the little 48 yeah as far as descriptions yeah, and you were saying it's the the Nantana that are Nantan- the well, there's there's a Nantanok, which yeah. is the uh, the local natives, and then there's Denina yeah. people. Yeah, uh, and they have the Nantana. The Nantana, the Nantana are the ones that steal people. Yeah. So then, is the temp? It, there are different variations. I mean, is the temperament seem to be kind of all over the map? Are there ones that it's kind of a like a man my brain just went blank like an ambivalent (laughs) type of relationship with locals or are they all kind of like just stay away from them they'll steal us or aggressive or for the most part most of the advice and and about dealing with them uh that you hear from the the local natives is just you know if you if you think they're around turn around and leave go the other way um Mm -hmm. they say that um if you go out, if especially chill, you know, that's the typical, you know, 
tell your children, you know, not to do this. Don't go outside when it's foggy or then Antonok might steal you. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, uh, you know, don't go and play on the beach by yourself because an Antonok might steal you, uh, stuff like that. But, you know, a, a big fear of women and children being kidnapped from mm-hmm. the Antonok. Um, whistling, if you hear whistling, if you're out in the woods, you hear whistling, turn around, go the other direction. Oh, okay. uh, I think, I think there's a story in, in my book about uh, a gentleman that whistled back mm-hmm. and he became very ill after that. so a lot a lot of uh you know cautionary tales you know don't interact with it don't you know go outside when it's foggy or it's going to take you or it'll take your wife and children stuff like that and that's pretty common with a lot of native legends just you know up here and in the lower 48 Mm -hmm. and the the so there's not like it's just a matter of fact like to know if you encounter these just walk away it's not if these exist for these stories it's pretty, I mean, I've, I've certainly talked to some native people that just think they're legends and don't believe them at all. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's others that are like, oh no, you know, my, my, my Nana told me, and it's, it's the truth, you know, or mm-hmm. I saw one and I know, uh, you know, there's a, there, there's a, a divide just like there is with anybody else. Uh, any, any kind of population, there's those that believe and those that don't. Uh, it's actually kind of frustrating because you know, you hear so many people talk about, oh, you know, the, the natives know what these are. They know what you are. If you ask a native what the Nantanak is, they'll just say it's a Nantanak. It's a big hairy man. Well, what is it? Is it, a, is it yeah. like a caveman? Is it a, is it, you yeah. know, a, and, and they don't, they, you know, so it's kind of, they have it more. It just aw- is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have more awareness of them, mm-hmm. I feel, but just like us, I don't feel like they, they don't know what they are. Like they don't mm-hmm. know if it's a relic hominid or, or if it's something else. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's interesting. The so the area that you were in, are there other and you said you're forty miles away from Port Chatham. Mm-hmm. Is that an easy task to get to Port Chatham? Just drive no. forty miles. <laughs> no. Well there uh, funny story, when we were doing the Alaska Triangle, uh Steven was talking with the um production team that was gonna go out with us. Mm-hmm. And Stephen's like, okay, we're going to leave for Port Chatham on this date. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, well, we have a rental car, so we can just meet you there. And Stephen's like, no, you have to go on the boat with us. There's no roads. <laughs> and it was just like, the guy's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like they didn't, they, they had no idea what they were getting into. Um, so it's, it's not an island. I've been seeing a lot of people, especially because of this new show that's out. I think they, they kind of, for some reason, they think it's an island. It's not. It's actually attached to the southern part of the Kenai Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Uh, Google Earth is your friend. And um, so what it is, the reason it's so difficult to get to is because, you know, where I'm at now, we're situated in Kachemak Bay. And it's relatively, relatively, uh, you know, calm waters. And to get to Port Chatham, you have to leave Catchamac Bay. You have to go what they call around, the locals call it around the corner mm-hmm. into the real ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, the waters can be a little rougher there. You kind of have to pay a little bit more attention to the tides and you need a, a bigger boat. You can't just, uh, you know, get there on like a skiff or, a, you know, I, I can't uh, just rent a dinghy and go to Port Chatham. You know, you got to have a, <laughs> right. a, a pretty, a pretty decent sized boat. And uh, that's one of the challenges that a lot of people face to get there is you have to rent a boat boat rentals can be expensive boat charters 
And, um, you know, it's not like you can just, Hey, let's go to Port Chatham and have a picnic. You've got to really put some planning into it. Look at the tide charts, you know, look at the weather stuff like that. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is to, to actually get there and how expensive it is. And there's nothing there. So there's not like a good reason for people to go there. So it can be difficult <laughs> right. to get, uh, get somebody to take you there. Yeah. Yeah. This year we're going to be visiting you. Uh, That's right. And we've been talking back and forth a good bit and trying to figure out an itinerary. And that was something that, I mean, I, I run into this with other trips as well. Not, I'm not familiar with the geography of the area, but once I started seeing how it was laid out, I realized um, nothing's going to be a quick trip really to go anywhere. Um, yeah. In you're, you're looking at basically uh, almost a day of driving to get from one town to the next. And mm -hmm. there's some great, great scenery, uh, but still it's, it's a long drive to get just about anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Cause, and we're only going to get a very small portion of the state and we'll be there about two weeks. So yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be intense. I so when you put your book out, did you have an influx of people that contacted you to say, hey, I have a story as well, or I grew up in that area, I have a story to share? I did. And I actually had a gentleman uh, not too awful long ago contact me and he's like, hey, my, my grandma uh, grew up in Port Chatham mm -hmm. and she actually worked in the cannery there because they, they um, I mean, back then it didn't matter, you know, they, they had kids, they didn't, OSHA wasn't really a thing. So they had like children yeah. working in the cannery. Mm -hmm. and uh he says i'd love for you to um talk to my grandma and you know you can ask her whatever and i was like man that's great and i'm like writing down questions and i um actually lost contact with the gentleman i, I called him once we were going to do the interview and he's like well you know my nana's taking a nap i don't want to wake her up and i'm like okay we'll try again and uh, yeah. i've actually reached out to him a couple times since then and haven't heard back from him so i'm kind of mm -hmm. on the one hand i'm like man that's i don't want to lose that that information that she might have. But on the other hand, I don't want to bug these people, you know, like he might've changed his mm -hmm. mind and, and doesn't want to talk yeah. to me now, but yeah, I've had uh, several people reach out to me and say, Oh, Hey, my grandma told me about this. Or my grandpa told me about that. Or I had an experience while I was hunting near there or something like that. So there's some, um, there's a lot of history in that area. A lot of, a lot of stuff like that. Have you been able to follow up uh, when you hear about a sighting in, in any of those areas, whether it's Port Chatham or not, follow up and see, check it out for yourself? Uh, for the most part, I haven't been able to travel to any site. And a lot of times, I mean, people, it's so big. Like they can say, well, we were, <laughs> we were on the boat and we were going by Port Chatham and I saw uh, Nantanock on the beach. Oh, great. What part? Oh, I don't know. It was somewhere in here. And it's like a <laughs> 20 mile area or something, you know, like it's, right. it's, it's not really like you know, oh, I saw it right here and X marks the spot and I can go there. It's like an area that's, you know, the size of a city. <laughs> it was like, right. it was somewhere in here. <laughs> um, and a lot of them are older encounters, uh, you know, from mm. years and years ago. So it's kind of like, well, I don't, you know, do I spend the money to get on a boat and go look at a beach that, you know, something happened right. at 10 years ago or just, you know, take the guy's, you know, report and, and document it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And either way, I mean, documenting it is important regardless. But when you've been out squatching and looking around, what's the most compelling evidence that you've found so far? Uh, I found uh, some pretty interesting tracks uh, in the area that I like to, uh, to frequent. And I've heard some pretty uh, 
compelling vocalizations. And my, my, actually I have a witness to that. My wife heard them with me. We were out camping and, uh, unfortunately I was still a baby squatcher at that time and I didn't have a recorder. Ah, yeah. And uh, that was actually the, the, the stimulus that I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta buy a recorder. So, uh, (laughs) after that I went out and bought a recorder. Of course I haven't heard them again (laughs) since then, but yeah, we were laying in the tent. It was probably like three or four o'clock in the morning. Um, it was, it was dim outside. It wasn't dark, but it was, it was, uh, dark, not dark, dusk, dusky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, me, her, and the two dogs are laying in our tent. And, uh, I just heard this. It sounded almost like a, a, like a roar from a T-Rex or something. And it was pretty far away. It wasn't very close or else we would have probably jumped up and started packing, but (laughs) it sounded like it was a, is a pretty far ways off. And, uh, of course I heard, I raised my head up and it does it like two more times. And I asked my wife, I'm like, Hey, did you hear that? And she goes, yeah. And I said, well, what is that? Cause she, she was born and raised here. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know. And we <laughs> laid there for a little while and we didn't hear it again. So we went back to sleep, but uh, yeah, that was, it was crazy. Cause it didn't sound like a bear. It didn't sound like anything I've ever heard before. And uh, it was big and it was loud, whatever it was. Have you heard the whistling? You know, I've been in the woods a few times and I've, I've thought I've heard whistling, but it's kind of like, well, was it a bird or was it, you know, yeah. cause it was during the daytime. So mm-hmm. usually at night you don't have a lot of bird activity, um, yeah. but it was during the day. So I can't, I can't say for sure that, yeah, that was probably a Bigfoot. It was, I mean, birds whistle too. So yeah. that's very, very true. Yeah. I was wondering like what the whistle typically sounds like, if it is something that could be easily mistaken for a bird or if it's like a long drawn out type of whistle, or if there's a cadence to it or for, from what I understand it mostly it sounds like a person whistling you know just a kind of a like a sustained like tone whistle Mm -hmm. um and i can't say that i've heard anything where i was like that sounds like a person i've it's always been like well that could be that probably was a bird um but that seems to be one of the the things that they're like if you hear whistling turn around and go the other direction that seems (laughs) to be one of the the things you don't want to hear when you're out in the woods right you said your wife was born and raised in alaska what does she think about you looking for Bigfoot? Uh, I think she, I mean, I don't think she's ever really got given any re- real serious thought until I got it. Yeah. She found out I was into the subject. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I sat down and I'm like, well, this is why I think they're real. And this is, you know, the things that have been uh, discovered about them. You know, like I showed her. Uh, information about the the tracks and I showed her a PG film and uh, explained to her about the mid tarsal break stuff like that and the, and mm-hmm. the prints and she came uh, you know away from it thinking like you know I, uh, there could be something to it and you know Be- Beans is a smart guy so if he thinks that then it could it's probably true so yeah. there you go <laughs> perfect <laughs> uh, when you were in law enforcement in the area did you receive any odd calls that could have uh, been Sasquatch or just regular, like weird creature related. I, I did have, I, I've told the story a few times uh, at uh, conferences because somebody always asked that. Yeah. Um, I did have one call. Uh, it was uh, like, I think it was around spring. It was springtime. There wasn't any snow on the ground, but it was, it was wet. It was raining. It was kind of a nasty night. Uh, we hadn't hit the 24 hours of darkness yet. It was actually, or 24 hours of sunlight yet it was actually kind of dark outside 
-hmm. and a gentleman called from one of the campgrounds here in town like in the middle of town and was saying uh that bigfoot come into his camp and took his bag of potatoes and (laughs) i i'm not so (laughs) we had we had a um a relatively new dispatcher on duty who uh-huh. had just finished up his training and it was one of his first nights on his own. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a pretty, pretty nice guy. He had a, a pretty good sense of humor. So this guy calls up and he's like, Bigfoot just came into my camp and, and took my potatoes. <laughs> and the, the dispatcher goes, I used to have this. I used to have that. They saved this recording. I don't know whatever happened to it, but it was saved for a little while. And he goes, sir, sir, did you see the beast? <laughs> so um he kind of just blew him off initially like okay whatever yeah you know yeah well then the guy calls back and he's like i'm gonna go out here with my gun and if i see it i'm gonna shoot it so we're like okay we gotta we've got to intervene here because this guy can't be running around a campsite with a gun threatening to shoot something on two legs right so we go up there and keep in mind that this is in town. This is not like out in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. Like the hospital is like a hundred yards over this hill, you know? Yeah. So um, me and my partner get there. Uh, the guy starts telling the story to my partner. I actually walked around his camp. Cause it, like I said, it was raining. It was nasty outside. It was, the ground was really muddy. I actually walked around the camp. Didn't see anything, you know, no mm. tracks, anything like that. Of course, my partner, if he knew I did that, he would have thought I was crazy. Um. And then it turns out like the guy was, you know, he had some problems with substance abuse. He, you know, he was under the effects of, of several, uh, mm-hmm. several things that he probably shouldn't have been taken and were illegal. Right. To take. And, um, you know, obviously he was running around with a, with a gun. And so we took him to the hospital and they uh, kept an eye on him until he uh, felt better. Uh, yeah. But that's the only Bigfoot related call that I ever had uh, while yeah. I was, uh, working in law enforcement and but you know i worked in a municipality in the city so mm-hmm. um there was a you know little to no chance probably that i was ever going to get that kind of call i right. imagine the troopers might get them every now and then i haven't actually heard of any coming in but um we don't we never got anything like that bears you know pe- bears would come and get into people's garbage stuff like that i've mm-hmm. i've ran more bears off than i could count and i've the moose like i was telling you how they walk in front of cars earlier yeah I don't know how many times somebody's hit a moose and I've had to go put it down. I've shot more moose than I can Aww. count and I haven't yeah. got to keep any of them because <laughs> we always uh, give oh, them to um, a charity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I keep, I keep telling people, man, I've shot so many moose. I can't even like, I've lost count, but I've never got to like take one home. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, we are getting close to the end of the show and if I remember correctly, you said that you had a story to tell me. So, so I'm not even going to set up a scenario. I want to know <laughs> what this story is. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to, to tell something that hit on my, um, my roots from Kentucky. And then I wanted to tell something about Alaska. So Perfect. I've kind of got, I've got two, two short little stories. Uh, the first one I'll tell it's more of an anecdote than the story, but my grandmother on my mother's side, she was born in, I believe it was like 1916. Mm-hmm. And she grew up um, basically right, right around, right before and around the, the beginning of the depression. And 
she used to tell me a story about when she was in high school. Remember I told you, they didn't, she didn't tell me a lot of ghost stories or anything like that, but this was, right. this was even more interesting, I think, than a, than a ghost story. She told me she went to school with a, a kid and I can't remember his name. I know she told me his name, but I can't remember it. Mm-hmm. But she went to school with a kid who would say the craziest things, but they would always come true. And she, and the one that really sticks out in my mind that I remember the most is that this, and keep in mind, this is like in the 1920s, 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this, this kid tells, tells my grandma, she, he says, you know, someday we're just going to be able to take our food and put it in the oven and only cook it for a couple of minutes and it'll be done. Oh, like so he microwave. like, he predicted microwave ovens. Uh, he predicted oh. all kinds of like modern air travel. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Like he yeah. predicted all kinds of crazy stuff, refrigerators. Like back then, nobody had refrigerators there. And he's like, one of these yeah. days, everybody's going to have a refrigerator in their house and it's going to plug into the wall. And wow. Just all kinds of like modern conveniences he would, he would tell, and they all thought he was crazy and everything that he ever predicted huh. came true. Yeah. And it's like, well, was that kid like a time traveler or was he like a Nostradamus, right. you know, was he right. like seeing into the future? And everybody shrugged him off. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's really uh, cool. That's one of the weirdest stories I remember my grandmother telling me is, mm-hmm. is that, that kid that just, he and he would just say that and they would just shrug him off. Just like, that's crazy. That's never going to happen. And everything, yeah. everything he ever predicted came to pass. Oh man. Did she say that she like kept in touch with him over the years or was he just like the weird kid? Nobody. I don't remember. After I don't, a while. I don't remember. I don't remember if she ever told me what happened to him. I just remember her telling me about the microwave stick. Cause when she told me that mm-hmm. it was right around the time when microwaves were becoming um, commonplace we're right. like everybody and we might have in fact we might have just got our microwave in our house and that's what prompted the story was her telling me right. that right. Uh, but it was kind of right around the time when they started to become more affordable so that everybody could have one mm-hmm. and she's like oh you know oh so and so he used to say we're gonna be able to put our food in the in a box for a couple of minutes and it's gonna be done and <laughs> then she went on and told me some other i don't i remember the microwave specifically but because i knew yeah. i was like he's talking about a microwave Right. But some of the other stuff I don't remember as well, but she said that he did that a lot. That's awesome. And then uh, my Alaska story, it's a little bit more of a story and that's the tale of Mumchuck. Oh, so Mumchuck was a native hunter and he went out with his, uh, his friends to hunt one day and he falls asleep. I think at the, at the front of their boat of the little Bedarka, which is like a canoe. And he wakes up and he looks at his friends and he says, guys, I'm going to go and live in the woods with an Antonok. Drop me off here. And they kind of are like, oh, you're, you know, stop it. You know, stop it. You're being silly. Yeah. And uh, he says, if you don't, I'm going to turn into an Antonok and I'm, I'm going to hurt you guys. You got to take me and drop me off. So they humor him and they take him and they drop him off on shore. Yeah. And he runs off into the woods. Well, a little while later, they're back at the village. And one of the guys that was in a hunting party runs into an Antonok and he recognizes it as Mumchuck. Yeah. And Mumchuck, he, he's having a hard time talking to him because he's talking in like whistles and, and he's, he's having a hard time mm-hmm. with human speech, but he tells his hunting partner, he says, tell my wife to, 
to stay home, tell her not to come out of the house because I'm afraid I'm going to kidnap her and take her out to live with me as an Antonok. And I need her to stay home and take care of the kids. Yeah. And so he, the, the hunting party, uh, his partner in the hunting party, party goes back and tells people in the town, like, you know, Munchuck's an Antonok now and he's living in the woods up here. And, you know, we need to, to keep his wife safe. So ever since then, uh, people in the village, they know the Nantanox around because the fog will come in and all the, a bunch of cats in the village will go missing. And they say that mom Chuck's eating the cats. And uh, so they say that he's still up there to this day. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm sad he's eating <laughs> cats though, but. <laughs> oh man. That's, That's an interesting also... story because there doesn't seem to be any, any reason he just wakes yeah. up one day and is like, I'm going to turn into an antidote and go live in the woods. Was it his choice or did something happen? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, sh- the shape-shifting aspect yeah. is really interesting. And, and then, then it clearly couldn't turn back to normal or maybe didn't want to. And then um, the aspect that, you know, where he's like, tell my wife to stay in the house. Is that like a, is that a warning to, to, to women not to, to be out running around town or is it, you know, is there something more to right. it? It's, it's an interesting yeah. story, but that's, that's yeah. a, a a tale from this area from the southern uh south central kenai peninsula so i love it that's <laughs> great thanks for sharing that yeah no problem oh man so where can our listeners or viewers find you and keep up with all of your adventures uh i have a little podcast that i put out every now and then uh it's called mm-hmm. alaska watch a-l-a-s-q-u-a-t-c-h mm-hmm. uh you can find that on just about all uh, podcatchers, Spotify, anything like that. Uh, I have a website that I occasionally remember to update uh, called <laughs> alaskwatchpodcast.com. Uh, you can go there and take a look at my YouTube videos and listen to the podcast. And you can buy my book there if you want an autograph copy. Uh, if you don't want an autograph copy, you can go to Amazon and buy it and get free shipping on it. But I'm going to charge you shipping because darn it, it's coming from Alaska. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Or maybe they can find you at a convention sometime and track down your autograph that way. Like That's I true. I am going to have a table at the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference in July. Ooh, where's that going to be? Gatlinburg. Oh, nice. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be fun. Maybe I'll yeah. have to swing down for, for that. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I like to do, because I got family in that area. You know, I was at Crypticon uh-huh. last year. This year I'm going to do mm-hmm. Gatlinburg. And uh, it's nice, you know, I can go visit family and then go to a convention. So it's, yeah, uh, it's a nice uh, excuse to visit family and uh, talk Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, I, I was listening to Alaska watch the other day. So I have to ask, are you going to go back to uh, mammoth cave sometime? I would like to. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to be in a little bit better shape because <laughs> we were I heard we about the steps. Oh my gosh. We did the, uh, was it the domes and dripstones? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of just, they get you down underground really quick and the steps are really steep. And mm-hmm. we, me and my wife both were like, we're going to die. <laughs> 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 we're not making it out of this cave. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But yeah, awesome. it was, it was beautiful though. I, I totally recommend that you go if you get a chance. It's so cool. I know Seth's a really big fan of uh, Mammoth Cave and I can understand why after yeah. I went there and looked around, it's awesome place. Yeah, I haven't been there since I was a kid, so I don't really remember much about it at all. Well, funny story. Uh, Growing up in that area, not very far away, every year 
when I was in elementary school, the fifth grade class went to Mammoth Cave. And I wanted to go so, I was so excited about going to Mammoth Cave. I wanted to go so bad. Well, when I got to the fifth grade, the sixth grade went. And then when I got to the sixth grade, the fifth grade went. So, so just your class missed out they, on that. They skipped out. They skipped over me for some reason. I never got to go until just this last year when we were there for CryptoCon. I told my wife, I'm like, we're going to Mammoth Cave, damn it. I got to go. Yeah. Well, I don't and, blame you. <laughs> I would hold, I would hold a grudge for that too. <laughs> That's horrible. Oh, man. Well, thank you for taking time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I, I love talking about Alaska and Bigfoot. It's like my two favorite subjects. Yeah. And uh, in a few months, we'll have two weeks to talk about it. I know. We'll be, All the time. We'll be so sick of each other. <laughs> It'll be great. Oh, man. Well, thanks for watching, everybody. Um, like, subscribe. This is Kickstarter month by the time this comes out. Um, so check out our Kickstarter. Okay. If you want us to keep doing what we're doing, please make a pledge and we'll follow through on all of our promises. I promise we always do. Um, you can email me Heather at smalltownmonsters.com. Um, yeah, just give me comments, feedback. All right. Until next time.